Welcome to Little Known Crime. I'm Chandra Mel. Located in the South Pacific Ocean is an archipelago consisting of over 170 islands, all ruled under the kingdom of Tonga, lying within Polynesia. Among the 36 inhabited islands, the most populated is Tongapatu Island. Nearly the entire population is of Polynesian ancestry, though there has been an increase in marriage with people of European ancestry as of the 1970s. The Tongan people were culturally known for their navigation skills and warrior abilities, and have continued to uphold the ancient ways of their people through their 3,000-year history. They place high regard in their values of family and connection with the Christian Church. They maintain the tradition of oral storytelling, which I have always found incredible and fascinating. Never written, always told. It's so incredible to think that the power of speech has kept stories and legends alive for thousands or hundreds of years. Tongan is the most widely used language in the Kingdom of Tonga, though English is spoken and taught as a second language, as the kingdom spent 70 years as a British protectorate bringing the English language to their nation. A told description of Tongan people is that they are friendly, warm, and hospitable people who prioritize positive interaction above worrying about the future. I love this way of thinking and of life. To focus on the relationships you have with others and your community, and to perhaps be a little more laid back and patient in your way of life is a far cry from the fast-paced, often career-motivated ways of American culture. Another striking difference is the social hierarchy of this kingdom. Gender is a large determinant of one's place in the hierarchy, with women, yes, women, being highly respected. Another factor after gender is age. An example given in my source is that a 15-year-old girl may be more highly regarded than her 20-year-old brother. This does not insinuate that the 20-year-old brother receives no respect as an individual, however. This just so happens to be a matriarchal society. Another noted aspect of Tongan society is their identity as a collectivistic society where they are group-oriented. They believe in sharing your wealth with your family and community. An example of this would be food. Eating with and sharing your food with others is regarded as the right way, whereas eating alone, which is most certainly how I prefer to eat, is seen as selfish and rude. The economy of Tonga relies heavily on agriculture. The main crops are squash, coconuts, bananas, and vanilla beans, though other important crops such as yams, taro, pineapples, watermelons, limes, and tomatoes are grown there as well. All land is owned by the Tongan monarchy and is parceled to males upon their 16th birthday. They received 7.5 acres for cultivation, though more recently with the growth in population, this has started to become a problem and has resulted in reduced size. Tonga does have other means added to their economy, such as imports and exports and construction, but a more recent addition would be tourism. A cool fact is that there is an undersea fiber optic cable linking Tonga with a Fiji-based telecommunications network to provide high-speed internet. So while you picture this laid-back tropical culture, don't mistake them for not keeping up with the times. The government runs schooling and teacher training schools, while they and the Commonwealth help to provide scholarships for their citizens who wish to study abroad. 
What I don't think I've mentioned up to this point is that there have been Polynesians within and without the Kingdom of Tonga who migrate to the U.S. among other countries, seeking more opportunity, but many hold the values and traditions of their native land in high regard. I worked for one of the biggest companies in the world, whose home base is here in Washington State, and got the opportunity to work with a few people who had moved from various parts of Polynesia, and I honestly don't think I've ever met more laid-back, patient, and honestly kind people. Not to mention their honest-to-goodness natural swagger. While I am an introvert and don't go out making friends and socializing, really, the friends I have have forced me into friendship, there was one coworker I had that absolutely warmed my heart with how kind and authentic he is. He had pride in the island he moved from, Pompeii, and told of some of the ancient architecture that was overgrown that he would visit. Definitely, definitely jealous of that. Polynesia is without a doubt a paradise, especially to those of us in the West who have little idea of the ways of life and culture. It's good to see that major motion pictures are beginning to shed a light on some of these cultures and working to be more respectful. There is a whole world out there, and the ways that people have survived and ultimately have created communities within their unique habitations is incredible to learn about. I did not delve into the history of Tonga, so if you find yourself wanting to learn more, I welcome you to do so. And if you do find any good documentaries, feel free to share them with me because I'm always down for a good documentary. This slight bit of information about the Kingdom of Tonga is relating to the heritage of the woman from today's case. On July 27th, 2019 in Salt Lake City, Utah, police responded to a call of a suspected burglary in process. While en route, they were notified that shots were fired. Someone had kicked in the door and shot 27-year-old Catherine Blair Levitt. Or Levitt. I'm going to go with Levitt. While her roommate hid in the closet. She died on her way to the hospital. The case remains unsolved, with zero suspects arrested until 2022. DNA collected from a cigarette butt and the shoe print left on the door are being analyzed according to reports this year. According to Levitt's roommate's interview with police, she was awakened at about 6.30 a.m. on the morning of the shooting to find five men in her apartment with Catherine. She told them to be quiet and went back to bed. She stated that she had come back to ask them to quiet down a further two times. After the third request and a threat from the roommate, the men began exiting the apartment, but not long after, she heard the front door being forced open and two gunshots. The shoe print on the door and a witness statement about seeing a man enter a vehicle outside of the apartment with a gun in his waistband are connected to two of six suspects that are now listed in connection with Catherine's murder. Giving detailed information, as was written in the articles I found, will be difficult because, as this case has not been solved and the suspects have not all been tried in a court of law and therefore found innocent or guilty, I will not be naming any of them. I will state that there are five males and one female, and though the police do not know who pulled the trigger, they are sure that all six individuals are connected to her murder and are responsible for her death. And if you want to know, it is not difficult 
to find the names of these six individuals. You can click on any of the links that I provide in my show notes or Google this murder and you will be able to come up with a list. The roommate identified three of the suspects as being in the apartment the morning of the shooting and DNA collected from the cigarette butt matched one of them. During a news conference, Marie Levitt, mother of Catherine Blair Levitt, stated, and I quote, Blair was very, very loved, and still is. I've waited two and a half years for this day, and I'm not going to give up until these people, all of them, all the cowards out there, have been brought to justice. End quote. In a message to the Salt Lake City Tongan community, she stated, and I quote, In the Tongan community, in the Tongan culture, it is a matriarch-run society. If you know anything, whether it be, you know, through the grapevine, however it comes forward, I would plead for you to do the right thing. End quote. In respect to Catherine Blair Levitt, I'm going to read from her obituary, that is available online, and the link will be provided in the show notes as well. This helps to open up a little bit more about who Catherine is as a person. Catherine Blair Levitt, 27, passed away July 27, 2019. She was born May 21, 1992 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Her mother is Marie Levitt. She was second of three children. She was the peanut butter between two slices of bread. Vincent Brock Levitt, her older brother, and Gregory Bo Levitt, her younger brother. She was the laughter and love that helped hold the family together through life's trials and confusions. Blair grew up in a loving family, her mother insisting her children show respect, kindness, and love to each other. After living in Salt Lake City a few years, Blair's family moved to Bunkerville, Nevada, and lived next to her grandparents, Vincent and Catherine Levitt. She was an active and happy child. She wanted to be included in all activities at home, school, and church. She was always surrounded by friends and family. Upon her graduation from Virgin Valley High School in Mesquite, Nevada, Blair went to Paul Mitchell the School in St. George, Utah, and obtained her license as a cosmetologist. Blair lived through life's trials with a smile on her face. While living and studying in St. George, her life became entwined with her Polynesian heritage. She found her Polynesian family and learned of her culture and another side of her life she had not experienced except in stories and pictures. She enjoyed it so very much. She learned her Tongan language, dances, customs, and how to express her joy and happiness in another way. Blair worked at various jobs in St. George and Salt Lake City to supplement her cosmetology work. In all her work, she was a happy and giving friend. She always wanted everyone to get along and be happy in their lives and with each other. Blair will be remembered by those who knew her for her love and kindness. Salt Lake City Police Department or SLCPD, is asking the suspects to come forward and set the record straight about what happened to Catherine Blair Levitt. Anyone with information about the case is asked to call 801-799-3000. You can provide tips anonymously. And for me, having heard about so many cases where people want to get involved for whatever reason, Please do not make a call unless you actually have possible information to give. 
If you are calling with nefarious intention, try to empathize with the family and just try to consider how it would feel if you were in their shoes. A couple episodes ago, I promised you that I would be covering an event or person from Asian American and Pacific Islander history to help us educate ourselves a little bit more about these histories that we're not really being taught. Today, I'm covering Cecilia Chung. Cecilia Chung was born in Hong Kong, in China, in 1965 and immigrated with her family to Los Angeles, California in 1984. She attended City College of San Francisco and Golden Gate University, graduating with a degree in international management. She spent a few years working as a court interpreter for Santa Clara County and a sales trainer at a financial company. She has spent much of her adult life advocating for the LGBT community and working as an HIV test counselor at UCSF AIDS Health Project an HIV program coordinator at API American Health Forum, and as a deputy director at the Transgender Law Center. She is the first transgender woman and first Asian to be elected to lead the board of directors of the San Francisco Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Celebration, as well as the first transgender woman and first person living openly with HIV, to chair the Human Rights Commission in San Francisco. She founded the San Francisco Transgender Advocacy and Mentorship, or SF Team, to provide events for the transgender community. She is one of the founders of the annual Trans March. In 2013, she was appointed by President Barack Obama to the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV AIDS. She is the Director of Evaluation and Strategic Initiatives as the Transgender Law Center. As a child, she described feeling different and misunderstood in her gender identity being born as a male. She realized in grade school that she was attracted to boys and thought that this meant that she was gay. In 1992, she made the decision to transition and became estranged from her family due to their differences in beliefs and them not supporting her decision. She had to resign from her sales trainer job to facilitate the process. She was relying on her court interpreter position, but was terminated after the judge began to notice the physical changes to her body. She ended up living on the streets and had to resort to sex work to survive. Through this, she endured both sexual and physical violence. In 1995, nearly three years after becoming homeless, she was stabbed during an attempted sexual assault and taken to the ER. The hospital contacted her mother, who was listed as her emergency contact, and the two reconciled. In 1998, she went to Bangkok to complete the gender reassignment surgery. Speaking on the transition period of her life and on being homeless and using sex work to survive, she stated, quote, Sounds painful, but it's actually more painful to not know who you are. I would rather be really trying hard to survive than to look in the mirror and not see myself. End quote. This is an incredible statement to consider. It's not something every person can relate to on such a deep level, 
But this is a real issue that people have, a real struggle that people for so long have had little support in. This woman is incredibly strong. She not only made the change for herself, despite losing everything around her, she continued on to fight for others in her position. She truly cares about the community. And when you look at all of the positions she's been in, all of the projects she's been a part of, or started, or carried on, it's truly incredible to think the motivation behind a person and how much power they have, how much energy they have for sure. It's nothing short of admirable. More information about Cecilia Chung is available out there. Just give her a Google. If you want to access episodes early, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash littleknowncrime. Your support not only offers you merch, it helps fund this podcast so that I can keep it going. Podcasting costs money, and helping to fund can help with better research and equipment to add to a higher quality for you. Also, please rate and review. The more reviews I get, the wider listenership, and the more people will hear about these cases and individuals. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Normally, I cover someone from the indigenous missing of Washington State, but today I am an endangered missing person of Washington State that went out on an alert on Sunday, October 16th. Fortunately, pictures of individuals and the vehicle are shown on the flyer, which I will be sharing on Patreon, Instagram, and Facebook under Little Known Crime. Reading from the flyer, this EMPA, or Endangered Missing Person, has been activated by the Washington State Police on behalf of the Lacey Police Department. The victim and suspect were last seen on October 16, 2022, at 12.54 p.m., on Rossburg Street, southeast in Lacey. Shayan took his wife by force and is in violation of a protection order. The suspect is Shayan, 5'8, 180 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. The missing woman is Young An, 5'3, 120 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. She's 42 years old and he's 53 years old. The vehicle in question is a 2006 light blue Dodge Caravan, Washington license plate B as in Bravo, F as in Foxtrot, M as in Mary, 5141. Please keep an eye out, and if you see anything, call 911. Again, this flyer will be shown on Patreon, Instagram, and Facebook under Little Known Crime. Check out my Instagram, at LittleKnownCrime, where I will be posting photos from today's episode, along with links and contact information for the police department. If you have an individual or an event that you would like for me to cover, or would like to share your story on this podcast, please reach out to me at LittleKnownCrime at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Chandra Mel, and this 
is Little Known Crime.